say most of your brain shuts down in cryosleep. All but the primitive side. The animal side. No wonder I'm still awake. Welcome to Now Playing's Riddick Movie Retrospective Series. Yeah, let's cut him loose. Posted by Jacob. All you people are so scared of me. Most days I take that as a compliment. Rock. Is he really that dangerous? I got him And Arnie. Well, maybe you just come back and skull fuck you in your sleep. This movie review will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. You're not afraid of the dark, are you? Listener discretion is advised. One speed. Mine. If you can't keep up, don't step up. You'll just die. Today we're talking about Riddick. Starring Vin Diesel, Jordi Mola, Matt Naple, Katie Sackhoff, David Bautista, and Carl Urban. Directed by David Tui. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. This is the host who uses Predator Pink Polish to match his nipples, Jacob. And this is Arnie. I don't fuck guys. I fuck them up sometimes. Welcome back to the last show in our Riddick retrospect. I have no response to either one of those things, except that it's disturbing. You don't want to think about my nipples, Brock? It took me years to get over you, Jacob. I can't go down that road again. So (laughs) we're back for our third movie in the Riddick retrospective. And boy, it took a long time to get this one out. But I think the fan response on the Internet is huge. They're doing the right thing by bringing back Riddick into the theater. Well, Universal did not want to. After the Chronicles of Riddick, and despite those two hardcore fans that movie has that have come out of the woodworks to snipe at us on Facebook and the forums, by and large, critics and fans didn't like the movie. And two-thirds of us didn't like the movie. And Universal not only didn't want to approve the sequel that Tui was planning, but more said nobody will ever make a sequel to this film and locked up the rights and only the tenacity of Vin Diesel got them back. When they needed Vin Diesel more than Vin Diesel needed Universal, that's what happened because Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, they wanted Vin Diesel to do a cameo and Vin had been pestering them for the rights to Riddick. And so eventually they made a deal where he did that cameo for no money, but just to get the rights back. Huh. So he wanted to do this. He wanted to come back. He has a huge attachment to this character. And he and Tui, I think, are great friends. And they'd been talking for years about how they could bring it back. And once they got the rights back, it was the two of them together. Notice Diesel, he's now a producer on this series. He put up his own money when the production ran out. To get the initial financing, he put up his own house. This is a character he's really invested in, unlike, say, Triple X or Fast and Furious, where he's making a paycheck. That's some George Lucas moves right there. That's a pretty impressive mood by Mr. Diesel. I have mad respect for what he just did there. If you like something enough to do that and you have the ability, go for it. Good for him. Yeah, one of the bonds fell through. He took his own money to pay the crew in as a bridge to keep things going. So you've got to take it as this is... His character, this is his story. Him and Tui together are the driving force behind all of this. So 
they wanted it back. Now, initially, when they were making the Chronicles of Riddick, their long-term plan was a trilogy that the Chronicles of Riddick would start. And they kind of viewed Pitch Black as the Hobbit. And then Chronicles of Riddick would be the Fellowship of the Ring. And then they'd have the next two films. But when Universal backed out, they did get the rights back, but they knew they had some rebuilding to do. They knew they had to go smaller. Chronicles of Riddick cost over a hundred million. They got this movie done for around forty, hmm. and so they kind of went back to basics. Well, there's still quite a lot of special effects in this movie, though. I mean, basics—you can go much lower than that for a basic movie. They, there's a lot of special effects in this movie for a smaller film, quote unquote, Arnie. And maybe are you are you saying compared to the giant blockbusters nowadays, or compared to regular small movies? Because forty million dollars and this much special effects isn't nothing. Well, I would say they kind of Robert Rodriguez did, though. I mean, yes, the effects here are great. But when I say back to basics, I mean, we barely see any of the named actors from the last one. Judy Dench is gone. Tandy Newton is gone. Carl Urban, it looks like he came on set for one day. They threw some guar outfit on him and he shot his scene. I yep. wasn't even sure that was Carl Urban. He looked so weird. Yeah, I had to look up the credits to make sure he had come back. I thought it was a favor. I thought they called Carl up and said, can you do us a favor? I'll be, he's, I'll be there for a day. It, it really felt like either it was a contractual obligation or he just did a favor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think maybe we're still in the mindset where big CGI, blockbuster sci-fi like this costs a lot when it doesn't. I mean, come on. You got Sharknado now on sci-fi where you got the big CGI shark tornado whirlwind going through the whole thing. I, I think CGI is the standard and it's come down to where even more modest budgets can do some pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, and I would say this is heads and tails above Sharknado. I would agree. Pun intended. <laughs> Most of the time there, we'll, we'll get into it. But when I say back to basics, I'm referring to the story. This is not The Two Towers. This is not what Tui had expected, which would be movie two would be Riddick versus the Underverse, and movie three would be Riddick's Return to Furia. This is all jettisoned, all highfalutin fantasy ideas that the Chronicles of Riddick had are summed up and thrown away in about five minutes of this movie. So when I say back to basics, I'm saying this movie could be titled Pitch Black 2 instead of Riddick. And in fact, it was supposed to be called Riddick Rule of the Dark. I don't know why they took out the Rule of the Dark and just took it to the more confusing title of Riddick. But there was a interquel comic they did a motion comic they showed it at comic-con it's available on youtube i'm sure it'll be on the home video that tells basically the same thing we see in the movie it talks about riddick leaving the necromongers and refusing to take the oath and stuff we'll talk about but all of that was readily available to tell fans hey if you didn't like this chronicles of riddick stuff we're going away from all of that that was made clear in every bit of the marketing Oh, yeah, I even got that from the trailer. I mean, one, if you're not familiar with who Riddick is, this just looks like a sci-fi action movie. If you were familiar with Chronicles and that didn't rub you the right way, well, this definitely looks like it's going back to that pitch black formula. They certainly did, and let's find out exactly what they did here, Arnie, with a plot summary. Well, when last we saw Riddick, he'd become Lord Marshal of the Necromongers. But that doesn't matter. We're going to just push the reset button. So in the few short minutes of flashback, we see Riddick refused to take a necromonger oath, and so Vako conspired to have Riddick killed, and Riddick is taken to an unnamed hostile world that he just calls Not Furia, and the necromongers think they've succeeded in killing him, but Riddick escapes just badly wounded. 
He spends several months healing and fighting the various carnivore beasts of land, air, and water on this world, eventually taking one dog-like creature on as a pet. But his biggest nemesis are the mud demons, these fish scorpion beasts that live in water. And if you've seen the movie, yeah, they never say the word mud demons, that's the behind-the-scenes name for these creatures. Riddick and his dog make a pretty good life until, on the horizon, they see rain coming. Riddick finds a Merc base and activates the emergency beacon, which brings two Merc troops down on the wanted killer. The first, led by the bloodthirsty egomaniac Santana, wants the money for Riddick's kill, and the second troop, led by Boss Johns, wants something else. Johns is the father of the Merc who had captured Riddick in the first film, and this big daddy Johns wants closure for his son's death. Riddick starts to ghost the Mercs and makes it clear all he wants is a ship to escape this world before the rains come, but he's captured. And the rain does come, and up from the ground rise hordes of the mud demons that lay waste to both groups of Mercs. In the chaos, Riddick also kills Santana. The few survivors, including Riddick and Johns, have to go to Riddick's cave where he hid the ship's power cells and then return, fighting through scores of the mud demons both ways. On the return trip, Riddick is badly wounded, but Johns proves himself a man of honor and rescues Riddick at the last moment. And with the power cells secured, Riddick takes one of the Merc ships, the surviving Mercs take the other, and credits roll. So let's start with that Necromonger thing. The motion comic I talked about before is virtually line for line the same dialogue as here, just a little bit more fleshed out, showing another Necromonger assassination attempt. But I had honestly been in suspense. I wanted to know what happened when you see all these Necromongers hailing Riddick. I don't see Riddick as a ruler. So the fact that he even accepted the crown seemed a little out of character to me. I haven't enjoyed these films as much as you guys have, but because I've watched them, I was wondering how much of that Chronicle stuff is going to make its way in here. Are we going to see what happened to him? Because when this film opens, it's him lying in a pile of rubble catching a little bird dragon for food or something. I do like that they went back. I don't know if I get this explanation. There is an oath. Like, okay, he has this army, but he has to take an oath to become the Lord Marshal, and he doesn't want to do that. Yeah, Arnie, you mentioned this oath thing a couple of times, and I didn't get that oath thing as the reason they wanted to overthrow him. I did get he gets soft and he got complacent, but I didn't get the oath part of it. But I don't think it really matters as much as this is the quick and easy, dirty way to get him out of that situation back to pitch black situations. And being the only guy who recommended the last movie, I kind of wanted a more of an explanation than I got, but I kind of like that they even gave us this much. They didn't really have to do that. They could have thrown him on the planet and not even brought up the last movie at all. So while I wanted more, at least they gave me something. I agree. It's one of those retcons that you know the behind-the-scenes drama is far more important than anything they could write on the screen. And it's just trying to bring back the Pitch Black fans. And I'm glad we got what we got. I'm glad Carl Urban came back for his cameo. <laughs> I'm glad we had at least that tenuous continuity because it would really piss me off if they just ignored the last movie i gave it a week not recommend but damn it i want some continuity if you're going to make this the third film so i'm glad we did get what we got it does feel very hasty though and honestly if there's huge necromonger orgies going on that i could partake in i'll, I'll take whatever oath you want yeah, me to that's what i'm saying <laughs> he's got a bed of like five necromonger babes there come on I got the impression he had done it, been there, done that. He got bored with it. And that must be 
something else that I don't think either, all three of us have ever experienced. You had that much orgy, you got tired of it. But <laughs> Oh, you don't know my Saturday nights. <laughs> <laughs> he lost the animal side, I guess. That's the whole point of it. I almost feel like that's meta dialogue for Tui himself. He has to get back to the animal side. He lost his edge. He became complacent. Yeah, I feel kind of this whole tie to Chronicles is somewhat contrived. Okay, hey, we found your planet. We're going to take you there. Why not kill him on the ship while he's sleeping? Why doesn't Vako challenge him? Obviously, Vako wants to take over. He wants to be the ruler. That, I think, was the plan in that last film. Instead, they take him to a planet. Then they try to kill. I, You know, fine, whatever. Let's get him off of this necromonger ship. Let's get him on a planet. Let's do that pretty quickly. I'm happy they do it quickly. Yeah, part of me wants to discuss, do you think Vako really knows the location of Furia, or was he just baiting Riddick along? But in the end, it kind of doesn't matter, because that's not the plot of this movie. Exactly. In fact, the plot of this movie should be, in my mind, based upon this flashback, Riddick wants revenge on Vako. I mean, wasn't that Riddick's M.O. is somebody wrongs him, and he spends the movie trying to make it right? I mean, the last movie, he felt... He was avenging Imam and avenging Jack and doing all that. Here, Vako fucked him over and almost killed him. I really think that a satisfying climax to this film is Riddick putting a knife in Vako's head. I think if there is the budget here, I mean, standard storytelling, that's what it tells you. You have someone betray you at the beginning. The drive for the plot, then, is revenge. It's not just to find a nice cave to hang out for the rest of the film. Well, I think that powers him to get himself back into shape like Rocky, right? But at the end of the movie, who says he's not going to do that? We just don't see it. And they certainly, if this movie makes enough money, perhaps they could do that. Perhaps they could find Carl Urban and say, hey, let's do that. There's no reason it can't. No, I'm just saying normally that would be in this movie. And yes, it feels budgetary that Riddick is taken to this planet. I do like how this one guy, Kronos, or as he's referred to, the necro with the fucked up face... <laughs> he is a smart necro because he gets Riddick there, and while Riddick has killed all of his troops, he's smart enough to shoot a cliff down, causing an avalanche to take out Riddick versus the standard duel. So yeah, he's he's obviously watched Looney Tunes, and he knows to break out the saw and just start sawing <laughs> off the cliff. Didn't you see Acme <laughs> on the side of his gun? I feel like in this beginning, we get that opening monologue with... Riddick and the rubble, we get, yeah, the guy with the fucked up face. There seems to be a lighter tone, and I think that does go back to Pitch Black from when I remember, you know, it's more Riddick screwing around with people, being lighter. It didn't feel burdened by all that mythological lore that that second one had, and I do like that. I do want to recognize, I've been sour on those last two films, but I do want to recognize, I like this lighter tone that this one has started off with. Even with the, the guy, you know, pulling out two guns and, like, shooting this cliff to get rid of Riddick. I, I saw that as somewhat comedic. Yeah, it was really fun. I, I was really smart. I'm right there with you both. It was really entertaining. And for me, to get Riddick injured that badly... It has to be something even Riddick wouldn't expect because one-on-one with Riddick, we all know, it's not going to end well for the person not called Riddick. (laughs) So this way he outsmarted Riddick, which is rare, and I love that. So because the movie does actually not begin with this. It actually begins with Riddick already hurt, and then we get a flashback, and then we go back to him beefing himself back up to prime animal form. And that kind of thing always bothers me when they have a quick flashback or want to see how I got here? Well, keep watching. That kind of thing always bothers me. But here, I think they did the right thing, giving us the explanation of the necromongers. But you said it went to a lighter tone. 
the injury Riddick has and those creatures that he's fighting, the intensity there, it's lighter and fun, but there certainly is a, a darkness to it, Jacob. There's a little more of a darkness there. I wouldn't call it necessarily lighter. During these opening scenes, I think the lightness comes primarily from the voiceover monologue we get from Riddick and the way he fights. I mean, when we start this and he's there and wounded, he's actually on the run. We have never seen Riddick run from a fight before. But here, his leg's fucked up, and he's being attacked by Dingo Dongos. Zebra dogs. Yeah, whatever you want to call them. They call them <laughs> Dingo Dongos in the movie. Yeah, I feel too he was like trying to channel those Mad Max films or something very badly. <laughs> I gotta say, though, Riddick, he's a lot of talk, he talks about how great he is, I've never had to see him struggle, and I wanted to see him have to engage that animal side, to see him have to fight for his life. Straight up, I love this first act with Riddick in danger because of that, because I have to see him be tough, I see him scared, I see him on the run, I see him hiding, I see him having to pull out these metal bolts and make these makeshift braces and stick them in his leg. I get a Rambo vibe off of this, and I like it. I like seeing this guy have to prove to me how tough he really is by, again, you know, he's going to cauterize wounds in this, stuff we've seen in other action films. I've seen all this before, but I like that. I like that he's now proving to me that he is tough. I'm right there with you. I really like seeing him vulnerable and scared. And we've never seen the man scared. And not only that, props to Vin Diesel for making us believe that. This is completely cgi right against all these creatures and stuff and you believe riddick is up against these animals so bravo to the special effects bravo to vin diesel for not only acting against things that were not there much better than other actors have done that we give much more credit to but not only that doing it with character beats and doing it with legitimate character arc this whole first act is Castaway, and the dog is Wilson. <laughs> and you wouldn't believe that if I told you that before you watched the movie, you'd be like, get out of here. But it works completely, this first act, and I really like it. It's also a nice way to separate it from the Chronicles of Riddick. And they're telling us we're going to go through this whole process to make sure you understand that we're getting back to what Arnie calls basics. And it's really a great idea. Three for three on this one. What I also like about this is, first of all, I've accused Tui, and I stand by it, of some artistic douchebaggery before. <laughs> but here, I think he's elevated his directorial skill. He's having that artistry by having this virtually silent movie. Riddick isn't going to talk to too many people. He has a line or two to his pet dog here and there, and there's a line or two of his inner thoughts coming through as an overdub. But it's mostly a silent film of action. And yeah. It's Vin Diesel's performance, it's convincing CGI, and it's good fighting that brings us to this world. And this is the most important act of the movie, I dare say. Because once we finish Act 1, which is Vin Diesel versus nature, fighting pterodactyls and fighting mud demons and fighting these dogs, we're going to have Riddick drop out of a lot of the rest of the movie. He's going to make a disappearing act, and we're going to have to have a reason why we like him. And is there any quicker shortcut to making us feel sympathetic for a man than giving him a dog? <laughs> oh, man, they even <laughs> gave him the big puppy dog eyes with this CGI creature. You know, you guys keep praising the CGI. I saw this on IMAX, actually, the big screen, and there were times... The characters looked pretty good, the CGI characters, but these landscapes, you could tell this was a 10 by 12 soundstage with a green screen at times. It looked really bad. The way the 
ground merged with the backgrounds on that. But the CGI characters, yes, this dog, I hate that they gave him the bigger, you know, the, the different colored eyes, just like Riddick is kind of weird with his eyes. But yeah, again, this is Mad Max. He gets the dog in the films and that you see it go from a puppy to a big dog throughout that trilogy. I like this dog. I named him Stanley because he reminded <laughs> me of my own dog, Stanley, in that he was mischievous and had the big eyes and he'd steal things and you'd have to chase him around to get it out of his mouth. I mean, I really, I really was attached to the CGI Dingo Dongo. I think we have to write David Tui a letter and tell him that we named the dog Stanley for him. <laughs> I think you'll like that for the next movie. Because if he's calling things mud demons and dingo dongos, you know whatever yeah. production name they had for that dog isn't good. Yeah, no way. Like shithead or something. But, yeah, you talk about the eyes. I think Riddick's eyes are the best here that they've ever been. In Pitch Black, it looked like he had some really uncomfortable sclera contact lenses over them. Yeah, I really noticed his eyes in this. I don't know if they just put some CGI cloudy white dots over him, but they really stand out in this film. Yeah, they do, but I thought they had contact lenses here too. I know I noticed a couple of scenes they definitely enhanced them, but I disagree, Arnie. I think a little bit of it looked too much contact lensy to me in certain scenes, especially towards the end. I think that... The CGI gave it a weird kind of iridescent quality this time, though, and a real glowing to them. For some reason, I was just, take this how you want. I was drawn into Vin Diesel's eyes this whole movie. (laughs) Although I wonder why he wasn't wearing his goddamn goggles. His whole thing is he's weak in the sunlight. Every so often he puts them on and goes, oh, I can see now, and then takes them off again. Just, Just wear the goggles. Well, they did break. I was wondering if he's going to have, like, the nerdy tape around the center of them because they <laughs> broke at one point. But they do break in that fall, and he has to repair them. I, too, though, Arnie, I'm like, okay, he could see in the dark, which means it shouldn't just be, like, a purple haze when he looks without his glasses in the sunlight. He should be blind, and I think that – he plays it off like he is pretty much blind, but I, I think that would have, again, enhanced the danger just a little bit more to really have him blind, really have to use his animal senses, you know, smell and hearing and that kind of thing instead of being able to still make out little shapes here and there i didn't bother me as much as it bothered you guys about the goggles thing but i took it as i'm training i'm in training to get back to form you know how blind people have enhanced sense of smell and you know daredevil Daredevil. (laughs) so there you go and i like that tui doesn't feel the need to hand feed us everything when riddick finds water and he makes a face i mean we all know it's salt water and he has to go find fresh water and when he makes himself that little tomb where he can hide out again we've never seen riddick run from a fight but he's like can't risk another attack and he just has to lay in there and heal for a while this is good fantasy world building versus not so great that i thought the chronicles of riddick did where it's a lot of exposition it's a lot of weird names that that might work for a book but in a movie Make it visual. And so, yes, we see him. He sniffs the water and doesn't drink it. I get that. The way these different creatures look, they're visual. They're telling me a story. The way these mud demons work with their tails and their two legs and they flip out and, you know, all of that. It's fantasy world building, but it's visual. It is made for this medium and it's working so much better for me this time. I like that he doesn't have the voiceover about what he's doing with the poison for the scorpion you saw mud demon as you called it yeah i love that whole sequence because you weren't exactly sure what he was doing but you kind of had a hunch and then we watched the whole thing go down and i thought he was going to experiment on the dog i felt bad for the dog you know i but did really, too i was yeah. you know i cared about stanley and here he is injecting stanley with poison i got worried well he was experimenting on the dog i thought i thought he was doing it first on the dog to see if it would instantly kill him to see if he could build up this immunity 
And then it turned into maybe giving him the immunity too, I guess. But yeah, I think we all had the same thoughts. I thought that whole sequence was a lot of fun to watch. And then when he actually confronts the big guy and gets bitten, that was really fun. And then there's another one. Isn't that just wonderful? Well, there's always a bigger fish. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> thank you, Qui-Gon. <laughs> but I think, I think it really is fun that they have the button on there. They didn't even need it, but they used it anyway. And we've seen it a million times. But you know what? That's the time you go to that toolbox. It was perfect. It was a wonderful little vignette. And they did a lot of great choices in this opening. And I think uh, when you said Rambo, I also thought, of course, Lethal Weapon, when he puts his arm socket back in with the ankle, that, ooh, that was cringeworthy. But that was, again, awesome. Awesome, awesome for Riddick's character and really got me invested in, in wanting to see this guy heal. Yeah, I mean, we're getting a real pulp noir vibe. You know, we got that heavy dialogue you know just that that vibe it gives the the atmosphere that vin diesel provides and then just the pulp adventures we're gonna go to fighting dingo dangos to fighting mud demons to fixing my leg like i i am enjoying this first act a lot i'm there with you i was a little bit nervous because i'm trying to get a handle on this what is the story what is going on what are all these creatures how many creatures are there on this world i do like that there's more than two, like we had on the Pitch Black world, where we had the glowy things and the monsters. But it takes me maybe ten minutes to figure out what movie it is they're showing me. But once they do, I'm so thankful that this is what they're doing. And this is, out of three movies, the best chance we as fans have had a chance to get to know Riddick and really see him be a survivalist. I appreciate that. This is what I wanted. This is my in for the character. And I was afraid for you, Jacob, because what we still never get in this whole movie either is him being evil. He's supposed to be this murderer, this really, uh, the very best Machiavellian killer. We still never see him kill for fun. We never see him kill needlessly, but at least we're getting he is truly a badass. But I was worried the fact that he doesn't kill humans as easily as he kills mud demons might have been a problem for you. Well, I guess we'll get there as he gets past the mud demons. And how long does he walk around? So he gets past these mud demons. There's grass. I guess there's other animals because we see him walking around with a big slab of meat. I guess the budget didn't have it to show us those other animals. They've showed us three. That's all they had budget for. But all of a sudden, this dingo dango pup. I don't own dogs, Arnie. You own chihuahuas. I don't know if you would under know the answer to this question. <laughs> but how fast do dogs grow up? How long has he been wandering around? Because they cut... And this little pup is all of a sudden a full-size dingo dingo. Well, whatever species you have, from Chihuahua to German Shepherds, I've had some German Shepherds too, <laughs> it's about a year for full growth. Now, I did do some online research, take this with a grain of salt, but I've read online that it's about six months past, but I thought it might have even been a year. Yeah, I thought it was at least a year. That thing is huge when you see it next. But, you know, it's a really great movie convention down to the Lion King. It was a really great way to jump ahead, make the animal bigger. It makes it's it was the perfect time to do it, too, because even though we're praising this beginning section, I was ready to move on when they did. I'm not sure about you two. If you guys could have taken another 40 minutes of that, it was fine and I enjoyed it. But what when the dog came in and he was big and he had that moment, I'm like, thank God, let's move on. Yeah, if I wanted Life of Pi, I'd have gone and seen that. <laughs> but. It seems to me, and this is where the character starts to slip a little bit, if six to 12 months have passed when he finds that Merc base, and he goes there and he finds, you know, some food, and we get this big joke that the Merc food's so bad, even the dog won't eat it. Yes, he pisses on it. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that's Stanley. <laughs> but I get the impression 
that Riddick would be content on that planet long term. Like this was the Riddick retirement home. Him and the dog fighting the elements, living off the land. He he had no desire to leave at that point. I totally got that vibe. I think the only reason he hits that emergency button to get off the planet is because he sees something coming at him in the rain, way far off. We don't know what it is. We just know he saw something and it scared him. And that I that's how I took it. That's the only reason he decided to leave the planet. Yeah, that's exactly what I got off it. But shouldn't he be burning with rage at Vako? I mean, shouldn't he want his revenge? I get the feeling he his point was, and maybe it wasn't forever. Maybe this was in the retirement home. Maybe he was still honing that animal side, living with animals, being animals. Maybe after being beaten, he didn't feel ready to get back in the ring. You know, he still needed to train some more to go back to the Rocky kind of metaphor there. But I didn't get that he was still pushing himself when the rain is coming. I got the point that he and the dog were make and do yeah maybe this is something again i don't think Tui's a great director vin diesel i don't know i haven't seen his whole body of work i i think he's sufficient as a strong man i don't know if he has it in the acting chops to somehow convey this contentness or that they're still training i i gotta take what's thrown up on the screen and, and to me it was we're gonna hang out here i have no idea where this movie's going i've just spent what the first 30 minutes of them fighting monsters in on a strange planet i've enjoyed it though Arnie, I didn't really put much thought into it. I mean, Rage is only going to get him motivated to start, but if it's been six months to a year, if he's constantly brimming with this rage and anxiety against Carl Urban, then he has different problems than we want to watch on the screen. Uh, I think that, yeah, it could be there, but at this point, he's content with the situation he has, and I don't think that finding this Merc place, he can, now he knows, okay, I can leave anytime I want, as opposed to, I gotta leave now to get him! And, and so maybe it's not, there at the top of his list at the moment but it's certainly we all think it's going to be there now of course you guys said something very important earlier in this podcast already that with the turn earlier in the movie you would think the end of the movie would him getting revenge on carl orban and you would think that but and maybe that's what you're going with right here arnie but i never occurred to me that he needs to get off the planet to get carl orban at this point because well, i took the carl orban part in the beginning to be exactly what it was just like we're tossing that away for a new movie i guess i'm just trying to go with good storytelling versus yes. what they have the ability to do <laughs> oh, a budget sure. for yeah yeah i gotcha. i understand from the meta knowledge that carl urban was not going to come back in this film i didn't know any behind the scenes spoilers i just figured they could afford him for one day he's a busy man right now he does a lot of movies and i knew this was filming this filmed way back in 2011. They sat on it waiting for Fast and Furious 6 to come out to really build some Vin Diesel hype. But at the time, Carl Urban was busy playing McCoy, so I knew we weren't going to see him back. I just thought that that was going to be the motivator. Knowing Riddick from two films, that is in his character to plot that revenge more than to sit around and tease this dog. It's almost a little out of character. He has the dog bring him a big shank of beef and goes, well, where's yours? I mean, we're seeing jokey Riddick. We're seeing the most laid-back Riddick I've ever seen. I kind of like the humanizing of him. I see your point exactly. I'm just saying I kind of like this new direction with it. It actually gives him place, some place to go. Hey, I think it works in making him accessible to an audience. I think it's working with you guys to make him accessible to you. I've already said it. This is the best Riddick I've seen thus far. Yeah. So character-wise, it works. I just, 
I'm curious how long he would have stayed there if the rain hadn't been coming. It's just the question that I had, but I'm glad the rain comes. I'm glad this movie moves into act two. I'm glad we get more than the one man Riddick show question so he hits the beacon it does this scan of him i love that as it's scanning him it reveals who he is i guess it's sending it out to emergency crews or whoever will get this the signal i love that it's you know it's richard b riddick double the bounty if he's dead i you know that fits the character he is so dangerous we will pay you even more if you kill him i love that because it's funny and it does sell him as dangerous I was a little curious because we saw this in Chronicles of Riddick. We found out who put the bounty out on him. It was Judy Dench who had placed the bounty on his head. I was curious if it was the Necros, not really sure if they'd been able to kill him or not. We never find out who's paying this bounty, but it is a nice little touch. And it's one that plays out in the film. I just assumed, I didn't even know if the rest of a new Mecca or whatever, if they knew, did, did they know he joined the Necromongers? I thought maybe he just kind of disappeared after that battle, and so it was still out there. I'm guessing if you're elected head of state, <laughs> that's pretty public knowledge. But yeah, it's, it's necromongers, though. Who wants to stay up with their politics? <laughs> <laughs> the news of the Underverse is completely unreliable, too. <laughs> yes. It's like Al Jazeera. Come on. And he's too busy having, like, five ways to go make big speeches. <laughs> but yeah, we do get... Two Merc crews, the first one led by Santana, not Carlos Santana. You know, Arnie, you said earlier, a lot's going to have to rely on these crews because Riddick's going to disappear for this second act. And I, I, I don't know if you guys have seen Beneath the Planet of the Apes, but Charlton Heston is in it. He's in the first few minutes and he's in the last few minutes and then he disappears for the rest of the entire film. And that's the vibe I get throughout this film is Riddick's almost completely going to disappear. And so, yeah, I need some entertaining mercs. I need a good bounty hunter group. You know, I'm thinking that the group in Blade 2, I'm thinking, uh, the Mercs in Alien Resurrection. Maybe I just need Ron Perlman in this film. He's in both of those. <laughs> no, I like a good cartoony, you know, everyone's got their type group of bounty hunters or bad guys. That that will do it for me. This Santana and this group does not do it for me, unfortunately. We have seen these bands of guys before, and I think the Santana guy had a limited shelf life, and I think the, even the screenwriters knew that. But... I think his sliminess and his disgusting qualities, he thinks he's so smart. That's kind of funny, but he's really not. I liked his two henchmen, the Hawaiian guy and the other guy. I uh, like those guys a lot. Um, but him as a character, he's just there to die. We all know that. So did they make him disgusting enough that you really root for his death? No, not really. But I didn't hate what he was doing. I knew that he wasn't going to be the only guy. There's no way he could have had him the whole time. He would have got old real quick. Thankfully, they... They have a second group come in. I like Santana. Now, his men, I like Diaz, who was the big kind of Samoan dude. Yeah. I don't know who the other guy you're talking about was. There were several others that seemed pretty interchangeable to me. There was the religious kid. That was the only other one I really noted. Yeah, there's Luna, who we see him. He's, like, crossing him himself. He's got this Bible he's packing. Okay, this this is the guy that's going to have, like, some weird cross-shaped gun or something. Like, that's where I'm thinking this is going. No, it's just that he prays sometimes. Like... I don't know if Tui gets how to write a type. Like, that shouldn't be that hard. They're types for a reason. You can look at any other action film, any other, you know, like I said, Blade 2, Alien Resurrection, and you copy that. You give them a personality, but it's still a type. That's why they're fun. We recognize who they are. Okay, Diaz, he's big and has a mohawk. 
And he, I guess he's a bad sniper. There's a Mickey Rourke guy. Falco, I think his name was. Rock me, Amadeus. Yeah, and he seemed like he had intuition. And I kind of like that, that he was like always one step ahead of Santana, but he was too scared to speak up. Was he the one who kept saying, don't jinx our janks? Yes. Okay. The thing is, I like Santana. Every quotable line in this movie comes from Santana. Santana has quotable lines. There's something in the way the actor delivers the lines. I don't know. It almost feels like he's just not engaged to me. Maybe that's how he thought he was playing the role, that he's just so cool. He doesn't even really seem concerned. There, There is, I don't know. He never drew me in. He's giving these speeches about, I've got this box for your head, and I should like that. It's something about the way the actor is playing Santana that I, I'm just, I'm not going along. I'm not engaged. I'm not going along with it. I find him funny. I'm enjoying him. I love his bravado i love knowing he's gonna die (laughs) i just really (laughs) have a lot of fun with him now i'll agree with you jacob if you look at this whole troop i think there's a problem with them i think there's too many and they're ill-defined and the real reason being so many of them are meat for the slaughter and the real troop is going to be an amalgam of santana's troop and the next group that sets down boss john's crew so this other Merc group comes, and I guess they're more professional. They have matching uniforms, as Santana points out and makes fun of them for. They look like they walked off the set of Starship Troopers. Yes. I, I did think it was weird. I At one point, I thought we were going to have, like, this whole tent village of mercenaries showing up on this planet to get this big bounty. And I thought, okay, that might be kind of fun. But no, it's just these two groups. There is something, you know, Boss John's. His performance, I think, the actor's performance is a little bit better. I kind of got this Max Cherry vibe from Jackie Brown, you know, very uh, this old time hardened, you know, guy that's gone after criminals, very procedural. But again, the types here, we get Katie Sackoff and I've seen her and stuff. I was a huge Battlestar Galactica fan. I've seen every episode of that. Plus, I watched her in The Bionic Woman. I'm not watching her current TNT show where she's a sheriff. I keep seeing clips of it before movies, though. Okay, that makes sense that she's played a bionic woman, and I know I didn't watch that Battlestar Galactica, but I know they had something with Cylons or something, and people were secretly robots or something. But she was Starbuck. She actually played the Dirk Benedict role. At one point, I at the beginning here, I almost thought, okay, is she a android or something the way she cocks her head and she just has these glasses tears no she's a lesbian that's her type is she though is she (laughs) this is i have some real questions slash issues with i've got issues with tui's portrayal of not women but woman i guess women because on in necromonger world they are only there as objects to fuck in mass and here the only female i dare call a character in this whole movie is is she a lesbian <laughs> if she's a lesbian she's an easily converted one uh yeah i got issues we'll get there but i gotta go off of what she tells me uh, she says she's a lesbian she doesn't fuck men she'll just fuck them up that's how she's portrayed at least thing is she comes out with it so easily and so quickly that i question why even bother giving us this information besides cheap character development but i really didn't like that she even had to be a lesbian at all it doesn't have anything to do with the plot and that line is funny it's kind of a cute little line she says but Jacob, you did not watch Battlestar Galactica. Arnie and I did. And if you watch her performance in this movie, I was very happy to see Katie Sackhoff here. But then I was reminded of, while she can do two or three things, 
she plays the same notes over and over again in Battlestar Galactica, and she has the same thing here. It might just be not that she's playing a robot, Jacob. It's just how <laughs> she plays this role. And I don't want to be mean to Miss Sackhoff because I do enjoy her in 40-minute chunks on Battlestar Galactica. I love that show, and she was quite effective in it. But here, she was so repetitive that it got very taxing on me. And I never thought robot, Jacob. I've just been familiar with the actress. And I'm going to just take the complete opposite stance. I liked her in the first couple seasons of Battlestar Galactica. I don't know who to blame for the second couple seasons. I think it's everybody's fault. I think the writers, the producers, and the actors all just fucked themselves. I couldn't stand Starbuck on screen seasons three or four. And when she disappeared for a few episodes, it was a welcome relief. I was sad what they did to her character because in the first couple seasons, I thought she was good. But by the end, she was playing that same angsty, upset note over and over. And I didn't know if it was the actress's fault. And when she was the bad robot on Bionic Woman, it seemed that she really couldn't act. I dare say that for Katie Sackhoff, what she gives in Riddick is, God, am I going to use this word? Nuanced. (laughs) Compared to her previous work, I think maybe she took a class. I think season four, you're right on there, Arnie, but the first two seasons, she did show us some range, so perhaps she's able to do something with that here, but I got more of the robot, as Jacob put it, here for her performance. You saw nuance here compared or nuance here in the actual performance that she was giving? Compared. Compared to what I saw her do on BSG and Bionic Woman, this is the most depth I've ever seen her give a character. Now, what I'm maybe doing is projecting here, but... Because she came out with the lesbian stuff so easily, I thought maybe she was doing this because she's the only woman in a man's world. And is it that she is a dyke and because she's a manly woman she can get along? Or is this her defense so that every single guy doesn't try to fuck her? I kind of was going with the latter, especially the way the second half of the movie goes. Sure. I don't think saying a lesbian is going to hold these kind of guys off of you. That's that's only a bigger invitation. It doesn't hold off Santana, but you'd think if you're flying with a crew, your teammates wouldn't rape you. Your enemies might rape you, but your teammates might just have a begrudging respect because, hey, you both fuck girls and that's something you can relate on and start treating you like one of the guys instead of treating you like a piece of meat to bang between Merc missions. I guess my problem with this group overall, again, is she a lesbian? Is she saying this just to hold guys back? I don't know. That would be something to write into the script. That would be something to give these types better types. Instead, it's just a line. We're going to use it as a joke. Riddick later say he's going to be balls deep in her, which just really annoyed me. Oh, she's a lesbian, but I'm so hot. You're going to want to go balls deep with me. I, I mean, the way it's written here, so I guess I could blame Tui. You're giving him credit because he got the most nuanced performance that Sackhoff has ever <laughs> given. But I don't know. Maybe it's it's problems with these actors, with the writing, with the director. It, it's just a combination where Riddick, who I have been engaged with, loved that first act. He is now gone. And these types are not holding my interest. I do feel there's some misogyny going on. I can't help but feel that because I like Sackhoff's character here. She plays Doll. I like that she is a competent, badass sniper. Sackhoff went hard for this role. She bulked up. She is bigger than she's ever been. She gained a lot of muscle. She wanted to try to be the female Vin Diesel of this movie. And I give her a lot of props for having that kind of commitment to this kind of a role. I like her character, but every time they're talking about her character, somebody is talking about fucking her. And 
I wish there was more there. She, the character, gives more, but everyone's relation to that character, Riddick even, our go-to character, is just like, I'm such a badass, I'm going to go balls deep in the one woman in this place. To that point, Arnie, her name is Doll. It's spelled D-A-H-L, but as you know, a term for women a long time ago was doll, D-O-L-L, right? So everyone's calling her doll. So you don't know how it's spelled during the movie. So it's kind of funny that just tough woman's called, hey, doll, hey, doll. And I think that was a fun way to do it. I like that they did that, but I see your misogynistic angle on it. And I thought that was a joke they were doing with her name. And I'm going to come out and say, I don't think misogyny is always a bad thing in a film. And let me you know, explain that. Before we get the angry email, you know, I like exploitation. Oh, no matter what you say, we're going to get an angry email. <laughs> yes, that. <laughs> I like exploitation films. I like Grindhouse. And that is a part of that genre is you take all these taboo topics, you know, these attitudes towards women, towards race, towards violence, towards sex, all these different things. And you really amp it up and you kind of just push it into the viewer's face. And it's just so over the top that you can't take it seriously. And again, I think, I, I don't know, if you can't write an exploitation field, Tui, th- those are simple to write. That That is like, maybe he does try to take this too seriously. I definitely felt that with Chronicles. And just here, there should be more fun here. There should be more, mis- maybe more misogyny, but it is so exploitive, so over the top that you don't take it seriously, that it doesn't bug you, that it does become a joke because it's just, there's no way you could believe that these characters are really that way. There's my defense for misogyny in film. I guess there's a difference, though, between intentional and unintentional. And I do think this movie has some writing problems. I will put it in a grindhouse kind of film when I'm reviewing this. I'm reviewing this as a grindhouse film where it's just lower budget and honestly, lower talent, (laughs) because I do have to wonder, is she really a lesbian or is this a defense? And I have to wonder, is Tui being very meta in his portrayal of misogyny in this film? Is he making a comment about misogyny by having every character be misogynistic? Or is he one of those she-has-no-head-body-in-the-refrigerator comic book writers who this is how he thinks women should be portrayed in sci-fi fiction? I can never tell. There's a blurry line here between hack and genius that Tui is straddling. I don't know if I'll go with that genius. I definitely think there's a line where Hack is on one side that he's straddling. (laughs) (laughs) But in the end, I think there's a lot of these characters that I couldn't get a handle on. I got names written down, and I could recognize faces, like one of Boss John's crew. His name was Moss. That was an actor I'd seen in some stuff before. He had a very distinctive face. But really, I realize a lot of these people are meat. We need to get to the action. and kind of pare down this group, which happens pretty quickly. That said, I enjoy the interplay between these two groups. I enjoy that Santana has the claim. I like that they still world build a little bit, not like we're going to start bringing in elementals and all of that, but that they're establishing rules for Mercs. Santana got there first. This is his claim. He has all rights over the hunt to Riddick until he asks for John's help. And I like his ego. I like Riddick on the hunt. You said Rambo earlier, Jacob. This is where I get my Rambo moment. The way Rambo in the original First Blood hunted those guys in the woods. Here's Riddick hunting these guys at the base. I just wish it was more engaging. This is a two-hour film that should be 90 minutes. And there's stuff I felt like this with 
pitch black, definitely with Chronicles. There needs to be some editing here. There needs to be a tighter script for this kind of film. If you're saying this is Grindhouse, there are very few two-hour Grindhouse films. Those are done with shoestring budgets. Those, you know, you're lucky if you hit 90 minutes with those. And this needs to be a 90-minute film. And, yeah, there's so many people. At one point, they say there's like 11 people. I've only seen three or four different faces. This needs to move along. It seems weird that this universe in the future is so crime-ridden. They just have bounty hunter bases on random planets for them to hunt people down that's kind of funny i i don't know how much i believe in this world building but i do like that they have those rules that you stake your claims in that it's just i need this to move along i've enjoyed riddick i don't like this group let's get riddick involved with this more so i at least have that character i like i think you're dead on about it could have been 90 minutes but to tag on the beginning the part we all like so much it was needed for a variety of reasons that we all talked about already. So now they're starting the movie here and then going on for Pitch Black 2, right? So that's why it's two hours is because of the prologue that we have that we all loved. And I think that could you have shortened this part down? We talked about during Pitch Black during the director's cut version. that was like four minutes longer with little character beats that I couldn't even notice or whatever, two minutes longer. Here, they took their time, and we still didn't get great characters, but we did get a a good, comfortable feeling of who these characters are that you would normally get in a regular movie. Unfortunately, it was 30 minutes into a movie that already started. So I didn't necessarily need a complete jettison of the scenes. Could they have made it shorter? Could you have both of these teams arrive at the same time and cut down the first Santana part? Probably. But I think what they did, Jacob, was what they could do given the situation they had to put in with the first 30 minutes. I'll just put it this way. Roger Ebert said a good movie is never long enough and a bad movie is never short enough. If this is feeling long in a bad way, if I want this shorter, that that's a bad thing. Yes, if, if I found entertainment in these characters, if they were fun types and I could enjoy their back and forth, then I, this two-hour running time wouldn't bug me, but I'm not, so it's bugging me. And – I'm loving these scenes, honestly. I'm loving the interplay. I'm loving Starbucks left tit. I almost at one point, you know, we get Riddick spying on her in the shower. She's just out of the shower. And you see him reaching for something like, oh, they're going back. He wants to collect her hair. Just like in that first (laughs) film. (laughs) But no, he wanted to take a mirror. Yeah, I that was a very gratuitous topless shot, wasn't it? I'm surprised Sackhoff did it because she has some cachet. She's not, you know, needing a role to do topless. It, it just and it didn't feel plot driven nudity the way the orgy scenes did. Okay, yeah, plot driven. <laughs> I, I I completely agree with you that her nudity seemed odd to me because she's a name for us, right? And then I was starting questioning towards the end of the movie why she took this role. You said she wanted to be the female Vin Diesel as she prepared for the role. But the way it's written, I was wondering why someone like her would take this role given that she's still working after Battlestar Galactica. It's not like she needed a role necessarily like to get back to where she was. She's still working consistently. So it was very curious to me with that combined with – the role, why she even took it. That being said, I'm not complaining. Uh, <laughs> I, I listened to a podcast interview with her, and I thought it was very funny. She's like, yeah, they couldn't afford the right one. They just paid for the left one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, she may have a beach house she needs to pay for, and there you go. <laughs> but I'm enjoying all of this, and honestly, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is one without Riddick in it, and that's <laughs> after the topless Starbucks scene, 
when Johns is asking Santana, are you sure this key's around your neck? Because Santana knew that Riddick was calling for a taxi. Santana's dumb, but he's not that dumb. He knew why Riddick hit that button. And so he decided that each ship should remove one of their power cells so the ships can't fly. They put him in a locker in this Merc base, and the lock for the locker is a bomb. So if you do the combination wrong, it blows up. I love all of this. And then when Riddick steals the compact, then Santana tries to rape Dahl, which, again, a little misogynistic. And while those two are otherwise engaged, Riddick writes fair trade on the locker. Johns thinks Riddick took the key and changed the lock. And so there's this prolonged sequence of Santana being like, do you think without my knowing he took the key off my neck, did whatever he did, put it back on my neck? Where did you get this theory? A unicorn's ass? He's a fucking convict, not a Zulu warlock loving all of this. And then Santana's performance. As- I wish he performed it like you just did, Arnie. I could have gone for that. <laughs> and then I love his performance when he's, undoing the lock and he is so scared shitless despite his previous denials that it could have possibly happened and and i love doll in this she's like for once i agree with you santana you're fine go for it yes that got a chuckle yeah that scene was really fun to watch and i agree with you. he was really good in it it was a great scene and you know jacob we wouldn't have that scene unless we had the rest of this going on it really built nicely and had nothing to do with riddick at all this one also the one with the traps you did sweep for traps right Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then someone gets hit by a trap. Uh, 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 it, all, that, all that stuff was great. And I think a giant four foot bear claw is badass. <laughs> hey, I am right there with you. I want to see this gratuitous blood. This is the kind of stuff I want. It's just I wish when bear traps and bombs weren't going off, there were characters here that held my attention that made me want to listen to them just shoot the shit. Well, I think I'm saying, Jacob, is that that scene with the bomb and the scene with the bear traps, that interaction between all these characters is entertaining to me and Arnie. And, and, and those scenes, nothing, nothing to do with Riddick at all, except that their excuse they're there is for him. But this interaction and, the, and this stupid set of mercs versus this prepared set of mercs, and they think they're so smart, but they're actually not, and they're getting outsmarted, which always is fun. I think these scenes are fun to watch with these characters. I think they're doing something right here because I'm entertained with these two sequences. And I would say the opposite. I'm entertained because there's giant bear traps and there's these head games with the bombs. I don't know how much the actor's performance or these the way these characters were written enhanced those scenes. I like them because, you know, there's blood and there's gut, those type of things. You could interchange all these characters for me. It wouldn't matter. Now, one of the big reveals in this movie is the name of the boss of the second crew, Boss Johns. We've just, you know, used his name in this podcast, but it's supposed to be a moment when he finally says his name. He tries to say it earlier, and Santana cuts him off and just calls him too late for a third of the film. But when he says Johns, was one of those moments when I'm so glad we're doing a retrospective series, because if I hadn't gone back and watched Pitch Black, I'd be like, and? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they, build, they do build up this mystery about this second group of mercenaries. They show up. They're like, hey, we'll, we'll catch them. We just need to have them for a few hours, and then we'll hand them over to you. Like, they obviously, they don't want to turn them in for the bounty. They've shown up for other reasons, and they built this up. But I'm right there with you, Arnie. If, you know, if I was a newbie that just decided to see this because I had no idea about Chronicles or Pitch Black, oh, this looks like a fun sci-fi action movie, yeah, this would mean nothing to you. 
Yeah, I'll say, you don't have to see either one of the previous movies for this one to be enjoyable. I think this one stands on its own a lot. The tie to Chronicles of Riddick is over quickly, but the biggest tie is to Pitch Black with this character who's here because he just wants to know, what, how his son died? Does he want revenge for his son's death thinking Riddick did it? Or does he just want closure? I use the word closure in my plot summary, but... It's a little ill-defined. I do like, though, that he's not here for the money. He's here for personal reasons. It is weird because they eventually catch Riddick and they have him chained up. And he's, yeah, it's, I, I'm like, is he trying to do his family tree, his genealogy, his family history? Cause he's like, what happened to this character? Your shipcraft, like, I'm like, is he writing a history book for some school district? It, it's very weird why he just wants to know what happened on that ship. Until it's revealed that he's his son. After it's his son, it completely makes sense. That he wants to know what happened to his son. This man has the means and he has the knowledge of guns and this and that to actually go out and find Riddick and capture him and ask him, which is a whole different thing that we're not finding out. If he's only here for personal reasons, how does he have all this other information, blah, blah, blah. That's neither here or there because I was with you until he revealed who he was. Once you reveal who he was, it made complete sense to me and it actually helped inform that character. We're talking about how the characters are not well defined in this movie who are not Riddick and this one character is. This one has a lot going on, and the actor, once you find out who he is, and once you figure out the connection between the first movie's character and this one, you see what this actor is doing. And I liked what he was doing about it. Now, I'm a parent, and I'm seeing this in the movie, and you know, I don't think you have to be a parent to understand the motivation, but for me, it connects big time on he just wants to know what happened. Ten years later, he wants to know what happens. Which would make sense if he showed up on his own. Now, maybe he owns this group of mercenaries. It just seems weird to use company property to go do a personal journey that again if this was just him showing up that would make more sense it's weird that he shows up with the whole group now maybe they didn't know this other group was already down there staking their claim and so they thought they'd need more to capture him and maybe they would turn him in i don't know it, it just seems weird that the only real reason he's given for showing up is because he wants to find out what happened to his son coming with a whole group a whole you know three other mercenaries yeah if it was like santana's group of seven i'd have a bigger problem with it given that it's a group of three again much like is she really a lesbian and i write in my own mind that she's not i'm thinking this is a movie that isn't going to spoon feed me everything it didn't spoon feed me about the water it didn't spoon feed me about the poison to me the way that these characters come off i'm taking it that they have a long history together they ride in together they are like a military unit but they're also like the a-team if one of them has a problem the other three are going to help out yeah and we can fill in the blanks if you want to i'm not asking those questions because it makes perfect sense to me that also he's riddick Okay, so Riddick, you need to take him down with people. And the last two movies talked about you only brought four guys. I'm insulted. So these guys are four highly trained guys, but the right number, quote unquote, for what usually goes after Riddick. But I'm thinking this one's a personal mission and they're using because they can. They're flying around. They have the equipment. It makes perfect sense to me. I'm with it. I'm fine. And I like that connection. I always find it weird when they have the brother or the father like they do in Die Hard when Die Hard 3 that he's connected to the first one i always find it kind of weak and weird but here i liked it i like that the connection was there between this mercenary and the first one and i like that he didn't know 
the truth about his boy. I also like that a lot. I thought they really mined it for some good dramatic points in a Riddick movie. Obviously, it's not a <laughs> costume drama, but it certainly has more than I was expecting up until this point in the movie with these mercs. But Riddick does get the best of them, and I do love this one scene where one of the mercs is all nervous, and he's like praying. I think it might be the praying one. And then you go to the top, and Riddick's just sitting up there eating like an apple, just chilling on the top of the ship. It was the pistachios from the rations, Oh, right? he was eating pistachios? That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. Using the compact mirror that to see inside the ship and notice the power cell is missing. And after the bomb scene, he succeeds in stealing both the power cells. Yeah. I, I like the two. I like that Riddick is so smart that he uses the mirror. He realizes something must be amiss. I like that everyone's smart, or at least they think they're smart or doing smart things as opposed to being morons in this movie. That's always nice to see. Him burying power cells, <laughs> that can affect the way they work. I was like, are you crazy? I do like that later on they said, see if it still works. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like the scene with the locker, the guy behind the locker. That's when he steals the cells, right? And he makes the guy come walking, and the guy's just sitting there afterwards like, oh my god, I just saw him. That whole thing was great. Mm-hmm. And the line, are they afraid of me? I'm not what they should be afraid of. We don't know at this point still what Riddick sees. Does he just not like thunder? Does he need a thunder buddy for, like Ted? <laughs> but Maybe he's like the aliens and signs, and he's, he has an adverse effect to water. <laughs> and then... It leads to a standoff because all Riddick has wanted is a ship, which, you know, is kind of expensive and not easily gotten, but he's not killed excessively. He's killed enough to make his point and say, you guys leave with one ship, I'll leave with another. And it leads to a very fun standoff where everybody throws down their weapons and we get really four of our five main characters. We get Diaz, the big guy, Santana, Johns, and Riddick. All in this little standoff, the one missing is Dahl, but she's actually involved because she's got a sniper rifle trained on Riddick from a distance. With, with what was it? Horse tranquilizers? They name off all these different b- bullets, and she says, what, give me the horse ones or something? Yeah, horse tranks, which should take down a human, but four of them, and Riddick still stands. Hey, I like this. You know, it feels very Western to me. They're, here's the standoff, even though they're throwing all their weapons down. Again, this is the kind of stuff I'm enjoying in this film, and... When we see what gets Riddick to actually go into action is his Stanley, the Dingo Dingo. It shows up because Santana goes to pull a gun and shoot Riddick and the Dingo Dingo attacks him and Santana's holding the gun and Riddick wants to save his puppy. He goes after the dog. He he tries to keep persevering through the tranks because of the dog. It was wonderful. I really like that. I felt so bad because I knew that dog was dead from, like, frame one of this movie. I just knew something was going to kill the dog. And I see the scene, and I'm like, oh, no, here's the old yeller moment. But because I really related to this dog and named him, (laughs) I felt so bad for the dog. I am not a big fan of pets. My pet is never going to be an NFL player, win the lottery, and be able to support me. I am just going to have to spend money on that thing. But I am not a fan of animal cruelty. So, yes, it pains me to see this dingo dango have a gun to its head, and I know it's going to die. But I want to give this film credit when credit is due is that it has built up this Riddick character. It has justified him to me. It has made me want to care about him that when he is running towards his dog to save it and getting shot with these tranks, I'm feeling something. I am feeling sadness for Riddick. And so I want to call out that for me, this has been the most successful of this trilogy to get me to care about the title character. I am felt for him in that first act. And now that he's come back to the film, I'm feeling for him again as he's trying to save his dog. It's 
a cheap shortcut to do it through a dog, but it certainly is effective, isn't it? Greek yeah. on all counts. It, it certainly is manipulative, but you know what? What they did to set it up earlier completely works. What I also liked about Katie Sackhoff with the gun, that's my second lethal weapon moment here. And I maybe people forgot Lethal Weapon existed, but this is very much like the scene, the standoff scene when he tries to exchange for his daughter with Murtaugh, if you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Lethal Weapon 2, isn't it? The first one, the first oh, the one. the first one where yeah. Riggs is on the high ground and Murtaugh does the walk up? On the ground with a grenade and the whole thing. It's very similar, even though it's much more like a Western here. And so, yeah, another re- Lethal Weapon callback, but it completely works too. And I do love that it took four tranks to get him down. It's um, another great moment, about five minutes in this movie, that really stand out as a strong moment for for me. And I'm glad we have it when we do, because the next scene with Riddick, when he's in the chains, it feels like an old Riddick moment. Johns is asking about his son, but Riddick is just doing his prediction thing. And, you know, over on our donation series, we did the Edgar Wright films and talked about how Edgar Wright would set up in the first few f- scenes of his film the entire movie. You watch Shaun of the Dead, everything they say happens later in Shaun of the Dead. The world's end, they recreate the whole thing in the world's end. Here, Riddick has this predilection in these movies for saying everything that's exactly as it's going to happen. So he's telling Santana, these chains come off, you're dead within five seconds, and Johns is going to lose his spine, and I'm going to go balls deep in doll. And I'm kind of going, oh, Riddick, I've really liked you, and now you're kind of just being your old self. Yeah, this is where Pitch Black started. This is the Riddick we started with Pitch Black, which I was not on board with at all. I'm getting the character better this time because I've seen what he's gone through. I don't like that. He's got the magic penis, as you guys used in the James Bond retrospective, that's going to convert the lesbian here. I I do like that he says she's going to ask it all sweet-like and asks her if she grants last wishes. I mean, it's crude, but it's amusing. Yeah, I I think it could have worked if this writing was better, if this was more of an exploitation film, if it really went – for that, you know, we're going to get some great scenes here where he's pounding the chains as we find out the mud demons are coming back, but hordes of them now. I guess they go with the rain cycles because they got to be in water. And I love when he's pounding those chains to the beat, almost to draw him to that building. And you will see this thing where he kicks the machete around and Santana ends up with his head in the box. That's what I wanted to see. And that's what I felt was missing so much during that second act. We got a few scenes here and there. The ones we called out the bear traps and the explosive on the locker. I just wish it was condensed and more compact like this. I'm enjoying these types of moments. And Katie Sackhoff calls out that it was inside five seconds, which is the only beat I found false in that whole thing. I, I'm, Did you I'm count talking, it? No, I didn't count it, but she calls it out. But And I'm talking about a scene where I, the only thing I find fake is that line is that when his head gets cleaned, cut off through his mouth and it cut, chops off, you see his brain. I loved every second of that except that line where she, she calls it out for the audience. Hey, that was inside five seconds. I, she might as well look to the screen and said, hey, everybody, did you time it? It's five seconds. I'll time it when it comes out on video and I pick up the Blu-ray, but <laughs> I'll I'll take her word for it now. I do like that we're back to a hard R-rated Riddick. You know, the compromise for the 100 mil for Chronicles of Riddick was the PG-13. Here, having that head slide over the machete and into the box, I'm a longtime horror fan. I enjoy some good gore, and that was a fun moment. Indeed. And Santana deserves that death. They have really done everything in their power to make him despicable. And so to have this be his out is great. Right there with you, boss. So we've all called it out, and I think all three of us did at different points in this podcast. Now it really starts to be pitch black, too. And instead of having the light 
having the eclipse and therefore the creatures who can't come out, the light come out. Now in a barren wasteland of a desert and these water creatures now have more water to come out of the ground and can come out and, and live and are hungry. And so it's very much like they have to go get some part for the ship and come back to the ship or travel to the ship and Riddick has to lead them to that salvation. It's exactly the same thing. And if you want to make the argument that all these scenes here in the ship and before with the Mercs is actually where Pitch Black 2 starts fine, but it really starts in earnest right here. And at this point in the movie, after all this other stuff going on, if there was retreading stuff, I didn't mind so much. But honestly, it's so close to the first movie, it kind of feels weird that they went so close to the first movie in making this end act uh, what it was. What really put an exclamation point on it for me was they had to go back to get batteries. They had to, I'm like, oh, really? It's going back to, we got to run and go get the batteries and then run back to the ship. It is beat for beat, which I found really annoying. Now, I like that they have these hover chopper bikes. That's kind of fun. The swoops from Star Wars? Yeah, but these are more Harleyed out. Which is what a swoop is. A speeder bike is your Honda, and the swoop is the Harley. <laughs> these yeah. look tougher. These had more of that Mad Max aesthetic, as Brock said. Yeah. I, you know, I like that they had that. I wish we got more than Riddick doing, a, I think it's called the Superman, as he jumps over a bunch of these aliens. I That moment could have been earned. It did not earn it for me, though, to enjoy that moment. But, yeah, it feels almost beat for beat from that Pitch Black film. You know, if that was an Aliens derivative, now we're doing a Pitch Black derivative in the same universe? It, it almost seems lazy to me. No, I'm going to say it. It is lazy to me. They could have come up with something new here. Here's my pro for this is that I expected this to be the whole movie. From the trailers, I thought it was going to be Pitch Black 2 or almost a Pitch Black remake. I mean, what we see in the trailers is him on the desert world fighting these various creatures. So I was surprised that it takes over an hour for us to get to this point. And yeah, I'm agreeing with both of you. It's like, oh God, you got to go for the power cells again. Really, it's going to be that much of a retread but they take pitch black and do it in 45 minutes and there's none of this bullshit along the way of riddick you ha- well, not for me you know who's gonna live who's gonna die it's if you die that's a fucking shame let's get these power cells yeah, no, they change it now. Now this is about John's and Riddick's, their relationship, and it's about Riddick saying, hey, your son was kind of a pussy. Have a spine this time. That's why he died, because he was a junkie, and he tried to sell us all out and get us killed, try to improve on that. Again, I like that. Okay, we're we're trying to use this chase now as a character-building moment instead of watching this huge group from Pitch Black getting picked off one by one. Now it's just a small group of three on these choppers, Riddick, Boss Johns, and Diaz. I, I like that they're using that to build this character. Here is your son's flaw. Can you improve on that? Can you overcome this flaw that might run in your family? I agree with you at that point. I just want to make a quick point, though. They did kind of recall this a little bit in the last movie with that in terribly intense sun on the prison planet when they're in the rocks and they have to hide from the sunlight. It's kind of the same thing there when they retreaded a little bit of pitch black there. But there it was like a 20-minute sequence, right? Here we have the rest of the movie doing and more beats that are similar to pitch black. But they do do this sort of thing now in all three movies, and I think it's appropriate to call it out. I think it's the Riddick trademark. If you Now, if you're going to go see a movie with Riddick, there is going to be a cross-planet chase scene. I'm glad they didn't go back and have the are you sure you can keep up slash there's only one speed mind speech. And I'm also glad at no point does Riddick go, 
You aren't afraid of the dark, are you? Because after the last two, I expected those to just be the tropes he does. But I liked that this is a little bit quicker. I think that the motorcycle ride to the power cells, it's very quick. And it's a little bit funny how they won't give Riddick a gun, and then Riddick can't help them fight back since he doesn't have a gun. (laughs) And when he calls that out, that was funny. And that Johns has to ride bitch when the motorcycle goes. I mean, (laughs) it's all happening so fast that if it was the whole movie, I'd be disappointed. I'd say it doesn't make enough time. But here, I think it's going along at a nice clip to just keep it going and not feel so much of a retread because they're not going to spend a whole lot of time doing it. It is just the climax of the movie. It's not the whole movie. If this was the whole movie, I'd have a very different opinion. I think it went too fast. Not that I wanted more of this movie. At this point, I'm enjoying that it's moving and it's getting to the point. But I felt that it went almost too fast through this pitch black to the point of, then why even bother doing it? That's all. I I did enjoy a lot of the beats of it, and I'm glad we get some more of that back into the series. But it was almost too fast to the point of, do they need it? I, I can see your point with that, and it was a question I wrangled, but okay. my answer is, if you want it to take longer, let's go watch Pitch Black. You know what? <laughs> I am happy with this pace. Uh, again, that second act, it needed to be at this pace. I like that it's moving along. I, I like that they even brought back these mud demons because we spent so much time seeing how dangerous they really were. I like that there is that payoff here in the third act because if they just showed up, here in the third act, I'd be like, well, I don't know. Okay, they got some stingers on their tails. I, I don't know what the big deal is. But because we saw what Riddick had to go through just to beat two of them, you know, okay, I do get this sense of danger. I, at least that pays off. I like that. Yeah, it is moving faster here. I don't mind the pace now. I think the faster these movies go, the better they are for me, the more they work for me. I agree with you, Jacob, that the danger that we didn't know about the entire movie turned out to be the danger that we did know about the entire movie. <laughs> you and sound gotta... like a Zen monk. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one beat I don't like in this whole thing, and that's when Diaz turns on them, and I just, what was he thinking? Yeah, what was the point of that? Like, he had his ship, Santana was dead, he could be the leader now, why does he need, but maybe he wants to bone Doll too, and wants to get Boss Johns out of the way, so he can't interfere with that, who knows? Guys, 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 the money. Riddick is worth twice dead than alive. He thinks, now is my opportunity, I have the power cells, I get his head in that box, and I get the money. But he has to get back to the ship. I'm not saying it was the best time to do it, Arnie. I'm not disagreeing with you, his timing on that was horrid, but that's probably what he was thinking, he's a mercenary. I don't think it's a revenge thing for his boss friend or anything. These guys are here for the dough, and now he has what he needs. Okay, now I have an opportunity to take Riddick at. I mean, I don't have it later on. Here, now I might be helping the movie along a little bit saying this, but that's what I got from it, and why wouldn't this man take that opportunity? And he also has the line, thanks for starting the killing spree for me, Riddick. Like, he's going to kill everybody else when he gets back. I don't understand that turn. I think that was a needless plot twist. It had one more fight action scene before the end of the movie yeah yeah but i like the way he got chopped in half though that was pretty cool that was like terminator 2 for me a little bit it was really kind of neat i mean of all the effects in the movie that one looked the weakest to me but i really like that he got cleaved it was kind of neat i do like yeah riddick had hidden this knife this what is this, like some big femur bone with a big old blade tied to it i, I like that he had it in the beginning of the movie that was yes. the tool he used for the uh the scorpion mud demon 
Yeah, so it all it all ties together somewhat, and then John's calls him out. Is that supposed to be for me? Blah blah blah, and it all works together in that. It, I mean, we're talking about the writing in this movie here. While this mercenary didn't necessarily have to go after him at this point, I think that having him get killed by Riddick as opposed to getting knocked off by another mud demon is not a bad choice. True, but the fact that three men leave against these scores of mud demons and the mud demons don't get a single kill kind of makes the mud demons look like pussies. Well, wait a minute. They did get two kills. The Mickey Work guy got killed from it. The, uh, Not the, in the ride. Not on the ride when they're out there among the mud demons, though. Okay, you're right. You're right. They didn't get that. They got earlier in the shack. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's only when Johns and Riddick have to walk back because all the hover bikes got damaged that we see maybe a possible kill. Riddick gets stabbed. That kind of shocked me. I was really enjoying the visceralness of it about how he pulls the tooth out and just starts bleeding so profusely and he puts it back in because, yeah, that's, I mean, if you ever get impaled, here's another now playing life tip. If you become <laughs> impaled, do not pull the weapon out. Go to the ER where the doctors can pull the weapon out and stop your bleeding. The more you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's important for our young listeners. I do like that they're smart enough to do that. He pulls it out. Again, visually telling me in a visual medium is a great way to do things. I don't have to get a big speech. Keep it in or else you'll bleed out to death. No, he pulls it out. We see a bunch of blood flow out, so he sticks it back in. I like – that's efficient storytelling. That's good storytelling. You're showing me, and I like that, that I didn't have to be told. I didn't have to listen to Now Playing to get this medical advice. I was able to see it in the film and understand it. To have him – Hurt again here also is nice, hearkening back to the beginning of the film, that Riddick in the other two movies seemed to be invincible, and here he's hurt again. And that's awesome, because this guy is beefed up and become the animal side to him again, but even he has limits. This is good for the character. This is good for the movie. It makes sense. So yeah, I'm on board with it. And the movie tricks me, because I think Johns leaves him. I think, well, he does just like what Riddick said. He's leaving him. And so I'm like, well, we're never going to really get to see Riddick go against Vako. But now his rage will be against Johns for leaving him. See, I did not buy that at all. I knew for the whole time that he was coming back for him. I knew from the second that he was on his own. And when he's climbing up the cliff at the end with the monsters on him, I was like, he's going to get safe. Like, there's nothing, no suspension of that at all. I'm glad you got that beat because that's what the movie wanted you to have. But they telegraphed it to me. I'm there with you, Arnie. I love, you know, you think Johns is going to pick up Riddick to try to carry him, but no, he just flips him over so he could take the other power cell off his back and run away. And I love, you know, Riddick, he gets the balls. He's like, you know, he's going to be the animal. He cauterizes the wound with, what is that, a glowing rock, a hot rock from this grenade that Johns had set off and, you know, cauterizes the wound. He's climbing up again, this great visual of him climbing up this jagged cliff fighting all these aliens and i really am wondering what is he going to do because i thought john's had just taken off i was actually dissatisfied when we get the deuce ex machina of john showing up in the ship and just shooting them all away i was really entranced by this this visual and this moment of riddick just trying to survive on this cliff well i'm gonna have to argue against your use of deuce ex machina because it wasn't god who saved riddick it was a character driven moment you know, all the speeches Riddick had given about John's son being a spineless pussy who tried to kill a kid to save his own ass. This is John's arc coming to fruition. It's not a convenient salvation hand of God. Moment. Oh, come on, Arnie. John's leaves him in the mud with all these creatures. Okay, fine. Maybe he went back to go see if he was still alive. But this, this is convenient that 
he happens to find the cliff that Riddick is fighting the mud demons on and is able to shoot them all away. I mean, this this is convenient storytelling. This isn't good storytelling. He just, okay, oh, he happens to be alive. Now I'll save him. You see, and I take it as John's hurried back to the ship. And when he gets there, Dahl is like, are you the only one who made it? And John says, we got to hurry. It's not we got to hurry off the planet, which is how I took it. We got to hurry to get Riddick back. His whole thing was the strategy. The only way to save Riddick and not die himself was to get back to the ship and get the big guns. Yeah, he took a gamble, but that it's a very convenient way for it to play out, that everyone happened to be in the right place at the right time. I disagree with that. He's a tracker. He's able to do that. He has this knowledge. Furthermore, the entire movie, as Arnie just said, it's the reason why I did not buy that at all is because with this whole thing with Vin Diesel with Johns about how your son was not this kind of man you think he was, this man is. And that's why he's going back for Vin Diesel. That's why he left him there because he realized he needed to get the ship. This whole thing did not play the way it's supposed to play for me. And it's all right there in the movie. Is it great writing? No, but it's right there for us to figure out. And it makes complete sense cohesively for that character arc that I mentioned earlier, that Arnie just mentioned again, for this character of John's. It all fits together. Whether you liked it or not, that's debatable. That's what we're talking about. But I think it completely works for the film to the point where it's telegraphed that he's coming back for Riddick. I also want to give Tui some credit because, again, I've called him out for bad visuals in the past. Riddick at the top of this mountain fighting the mud demons is a gorgeous shot. It reminded me in certain ways of the movie 300, which I thought was pretty but not fulfilling and very fakey in his CGI. Here, the CGI was slightly more realistic. A number of years have passed. But it's just such a great visual in a movie that has had really good camera work, really good visuals. And I've just loved the landscapes, albeit all computer generated. I mean, I don't ever think they're not in a stage, but it's like a good drawn comic book. And when Riddick is up there with these mud demons all around him, I think it's gorgeous. But then he is rescued by Dahl. His prediction of John's having no spine kind of didn't come true, but Dahl straddles him to get the harness on him, and she asks if she can ask him a question all sweet-like. Yeah, did they? Did he get balls deep on the ride up to the spaceship? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he does tell Johns to tell Dahl to keep it warm for him. I, I think oh, he got balls deep. I actually thought that she was going to pop in behind his chair and kiss him on the cheek at the end. I didn't think he, she was going to be on the other ship because we don't see her. I, I'm right there with you, Brock. Yeah. yeah, the fact that we don't see her in that interview online, she said that the stage was big enough for two actors. And so they decided to have Johns and the other survivor, which was the religious guy. And she just, they couldn't fit her in frame. But I think that was a mistake because I'm wondering which ship is she on? You know, I think, you know, she's alive, but we didn't have confirmation that the religious kid was. So maybe that's why they made that choice to have him in the seat right Who there. Who cares? <laughs> I, exactly. We don't care about him at all. We care about Katie Sackoff. We want to see her in the final shot. So, yeah. And I'd like to see the right side of her in the final shot, actually. They didn't pay for that, Arnie. They only paid for the left <laughs> side. That predator pink nipple. <laughs> so, Jacob, Arnie, do you recommend Riddick? Jacob. I'm going to start off with saying, for me, this is the best of this trilogy. This is the one that... I felt most positive about, but is that a recommend? 
I've talked about what I've liked in this film. I liked that first act a whole lot. I actually like that this film convinced me to like Riddick finally. I've very, been very skeptical of him. Why do I care about this character? Now, you know, I get it. I, I'm with him. I want him to succeed. I like a lot of the stuff that happens in the third act. When it becomes Pitch Black 2, it happens pretty quickly. It's done pretty well. There's some great visuals on that cliff, as you talked about, Arnie. There's some great moments there, some great action what doesn't work for me, though, is this like hour in between those great bookends where I am just bored that I'm not engaged with most of the other characters in this film. And there's a lot of them. And Vin Diesel, he disappears for a large portion of this movie. And that hurts it for me. I'm just I don't care about Santana. I don't care about Luna. I, you know, if I didn't see that left tit, I don't know if I care about Doll. There's not a whole lot that engages me. And so I'm going to go back to that Roger Ebert quote. A great movie is never long enough and a bad movie is never short enough. I'm not going to say this is a bad, bad movie, but it felt long to me. I felt bored throughout that whole second act, and it killed it for me. It killed it as a film that I could recommend, even mildly. It's, it's a weak, weak not recommend. I could see fans of the sci-fi fantasy genre that really get into this kind of world building. or I think definitely fans of the Riddick films will like this, but as just a recommend, no, I'm not going to recommend this one. It's a weak not recommend, but not going to recommend it. So just to recap, this is the third time you're not recommending a Rick film, right? That's right. But this is the best of them. I will give you that. I gotta feel that if you hadn't had such a negative reaction to Riddick, if this was your first Riddick film, you might have gone a different way on it. I just gotta feel that way because, man, you know, we've done so many movies and I've had to weigh the same question about does one act take down a whole film? And I cannot imagine you went that way, man. <laughs> it's a bad act it's a bad act it's a bad act but man it's also got good moments oh and it's it's a shorter act oh man i can't believe you went that way for me i'm giving this a recommend and agreeing with you i want to give it a little bit of time but i came into this retrospective remembering loving pitch black as much as i love riddick and rewatching Pitch Black, I found a lot of flaws in that movie. When I watched it, you know, knowing I had to analyze it and talk about it for over an hour, I really realized where that film had weaknesses. And I went into this one, honestly, with my expectations low, because returning to Pitch Black and having to analyze it, I'm like, good but not great. Returning to Chronicles of Riddick and wanting to like it and going... It's got some redeeming qualities, but it's just not very good. And really analyzing Tui's style and Tui's storytelling, I came in here going, you know, it looks like they're going back to basics. That's a great marketing strategy, but I don't expect this to be very good. And I was wrong. I was dead wrong. I think this is the best of the series. Maybe in a couple of years, I'll reevaluate Pitch Black and think it's still the best. But right now, I think this is the most cohesive. I think Tui, who has only done one film between Chronicles and now, perhaps he works best on a smaller budget when he can't be as creative and instead can just tell a good-looking, entertaining story. I think Vin Diesel has also improved his craft all those early scenes the castaway scenes as brock called them are really engaging i like riddick in this film i like the mercs in this film i laughed out loud many times in the theater in this film i definitely think you should check this one out 
Well, Arnie, and I will agree, the people, the seven other people that are in the theater with me, I could tell they are pretty hardcore Riddick fans. They were talking about it before it started. They stood around and talked about it afterwards. They were laughing. I Again, I think if you enjoyed those other ones, yeah, this one's definitely going to work for you. And I'm the only one here who recommended the other two films. And I, those other two films worked for me. They were not completely flawless movies, as we've talked about. You can hear those podcasts or archive section at nowplayingpodcast.com. But for me, this one took the flaws of the first two movies into consideration when making this one. They heard the audience reaction. It's been a long enough time for them to understand what they did right and did not do right. They understood what they had to do for this movie to be loyal to the actual fans of the franchise, and they addressed that. They also gave us the sequel that most people wanted when the Chronicles of Riddick came out to pitch black. They gave us a very similar movie in that sense. And I kind of like that they remembered and had the mindset of, if we want this to be more Riddick movies, we have to go back to what worked in Jettison, what did not. That being said, it kind of plods in the middle and there's a lot of problems with the movie, but there's much more to enjoy here than not to enjoy. And I see all the flaws we talked about and I saw them too while I was watching it and I think we really covered this film nicely today to point out that while it certainly is not a perfect movie, they did a lot of things right. I'm going three for three on Riddick, guys. I'm, I can't believe it. I like this movie. It reminded me of Predators. Yes, I definitely got a Predators vibe from these Merc troops and things. Well, not only that, Arnie, but again, that they return to what people wanted in a sequel to the Predator movie. Right? Because they went off the range with the Alien vs. Predator, the second one especially. You know what you're making gangs in L.A.? No. I just want to basically say that I think it's important that they realize what worked and what didn't work and what they have to do for the franchise. And on top of that, they gave us more character development that we've been screaming for for Riddick. So, frankly, they did a lot more right than they didn't do right. And on top of that, an entertaining movie to boot, recommend from me. And it's a weaker recommend, not a a solid huge recommend, but it's a really good example, folks, of – understanding what needs to be done to write a ship. They didn't hit a home run, folks, but they certainly did much more to help us get a fourth Riddick movie, if that's what the world's pining for. Let's see if the box office warrants that. And it's tracking well. It's tracking very well because it's opening against almost nothing. It is predicted, and we'll know when this comes out how right the predictions were, but as of this recording, it's predicted to take first place around $20 million on a $40 million budget, earning half its money back domestically the first weekend. They're optimistic. They're already talking about follow-ups. Well, they always talk about follow-ups the week of a release. We all know that. But I think this time... I think they set themselves up well to do it. I think they really made an entertaining movie here that people who are not familiar with the franchise and people who are are going to like. I think they did the right thing here, and I think we're going to get a Riddick 4. But do we want it? Because what they're (laughs) saying is if this one is successful, they want to go back to their Lord of the Rings. They want to go back, and they say they do not want this to be. And when I say they, I'm specifically referring to Diesel and Tui, who are the masterminds behind this character now. They don't want this to be Star Trek. They want there to be a finite number of Riddick stories. They don't want it to feel, for the fans, like a cash grab, like another Riddick film the way it's another Fast and Furious film. And Diesel has said that it's not Fast and Furious. The next one won't be out too quickly. Diesel's pretty booked up between being in Guardians of the Galaxy along with the guy who played Diaz in this. Both of them are in Guardians next year. And getting the funding, but they still want to finish that arc they started in Chronicles with Riddick 
returning to Furia and returning to the Underverse. And the question Tui said on just the day this movie came out is they're trying to decide, is that story one more film or is that story two more films? But that is going to be their end of Riddick's character journey. And liking it when Riddick is on a lone planet with some mercs and some aliens attacking... I don't know how I feel about returning to the Elementals and the Necromongers and the Furians and the Visions and all that. I know how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think they almost got the formula right this time. Have some fun types. Have some crazy action. Have a few great visuals, whatever the budget can afford. Don't do a Pitch Black 3 where, you know, meaning there's more aliens that we got to run to the ship and get the batteries that are somewhere else. But I like Riddick as pulp adventures. I don't want Star Trek or sci-fi fantasy. I like the pulp aspects, and I think that works best. So I might be willing, if they could get that damn formula right, get the writing right, I could maybe go with it. One that's done, you know, as a pulp noir adventure. Based off this one, I think Tui has grown. I think if he's going to return to that, maybe he can get it right. But we'll find out. We need Ron Perlman in it. That's what we need. Hey, I would love to see Vin Diesel versus Ron Perlman. That would be an awesome, awesome fight. Sure. Sounds great. Let's make it happen. And when we call Tui about naming the dog Stanley, we can tell him we want Ron Perlman in the show, too. Preferably in full Hellboy makeup. <laughs> So if you enjoy this podcast, please go to nowplayingpodcast.com, go to the archive section, but also go to the homepage and click on that banner at the top of the screen because our fall donation drive is still going on. Yeah, if you want to see more people on the run from attacking aliens from outer space, hey, that happens in Attack the Block. It is the fifth and final movie in our silver level donation, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost retrospective. Even though Simon Pegg isn't in this one, we're, yeah, well, we put Deep Blue Sea in the Jaws retrospective too. Come okay? on, Edgar Wright's kind of involved. Nick Frost is in it, kind of. We'll let it go. We're not going to call Simon Pegg and tell him sorry, buddy. <laughs> it was this or Run Fat Boy Run. <laughs> <laughs> So attack the blocks a little bit more artistically ambitious, a lot more British, and you can hear that review plus a review of other alien films that involve Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg like Paul and The World's End plus the other two Cornetto films, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. It's been a really fun retrospective series to do and you can find out how to listen at nowplayingpodcast.com but those shows are only available until October 31st and then they go in the vault with Jaws and E.T. and all those other retrospectives and then next week Hard to believe the Halloween decorations are out in the stores now, so let's get into some horror. On the main feed, we're going to be starting Insidious, the PG-13 ghost film from the makers of Saw. And for the gold donors, a series that I never thought we'd have time to fit in the schedule, we're finally getting to Psycho. Six Psycho films. We normally do three at the gold level. We're doing six this time. The three Anthony Perkins theatrical Psycho films. Psycho 4, The Beginning. The 1980s TV pilot, Bates Motel. And the controversial Gus Van Sant shot for shot remake. All of those details available at nowplayingpodcast.com. All of those podcasts only available until October 31st, 2013. And your donation help support the show if you enjoyed our pitch black retrospective series if you're looking forward to our upcoming stephen king retrospective series with carrie and all those stephen king movies and all the podcasts we've done 
Your support does keep this show on the air. So we'll be back next week with Insidious. And until then, I think we should go now. Did not know who was fucking with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. One of my best. If you say so. Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another Riddick film. I told one man where I might go. I show trust to one man. You can hear more movie reviews at our website, NowPlayingPodcast.com. In our archive section, you can find our reviews of the Transformers films, Star Trek movies, the Avenger films, Rambo, Rocky, and more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Missing the party. Come on. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss this review with other listeners. I think we should go now. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. You following me? The links to our social media pages can be found at NowPlayingPodcast.com. You think I'd remember? Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, NowPlayingPodcast.com. I'm just a mark, and I'm just a payday. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy panties, coffee mugs, t-shirts, totes, boxers, teddy bears, and much, much more. So throw on a fresh pair of panties. Let's get this right. You can also help Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Perhaps the breeder would do it. If somebody just asked him. Now Playing's Riddick Retrospective series is edited by Heath, Phil, and Arnie. Don't know about this new crew of yours. They seem a bit skittish. Probably shouldn't tell them what happened in the last crew. Now Playing is not affiliated with Universal Pictures. Pitch Black and the Riddick films are the property of Universal Pictures and no infringement is intended. Maybe you should pretend like you're talking to someone educated in the penal system. In fact, don't pretend. The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Finally found something worse than me, huh? Now Playing is a Venganza Media production copyright 2013, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. We can't leave. I say goodnight. He says, talking to Stanley across the room. Sorry, I had to close the door. There was a 93-year-old making lots of noise. <laughs> Don't want to know. A three-year-old in your house? 93. 93. Oh, 93. Oh, different. <laughs> I believe that. A three-year-old. I'm like, why is there a three-year-old in Arnie's house? Well, <laughs> you have lots of toys. <laughs> it's true. But you can't touch any of them. Yeah. It's let very me, let cold me... and very dark, and you're not allowed to touch anything. <laughs> You know, I'm thinking that the group in Blade 2, I'm thinking uh, the Mercs in Alien Resurrection. Maybe I just need Ron Perlman in this film. He's in both of those. <laughs> Can I just say, Jacob, I'm so glad you like the same movies I do and for the same teams I do. <laughs>
Sometimes I feel so alone. No, I like a good cartoon. <laughs> There's something about, is it Mola? Mole, Molea? Jordy, the actor's name. How did you say it, Brock? Yeah, I, I said I Mola. <laughs> I killed it. Just okay, say the actor. Yeah. She actually played the Burke Benedict role. Bur- okay. She actually played the Dirk Benedict role. Burke Benedict. It's Dirk Benedict, yes. Or the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> <laughs> it's Wizard of Oz for our 1939 movie lover who's online with us. Yeah, uh, let's talk about some Gone with the Wind. Yes. <laughs> they both came out in 1939. Okay. Yep. Yes, that was right. my connection. <laughs> Here's the old Yeller moment. Spoiler alert for old Yeller. Is that one 1939? <laughs> that, that's 55, that's but close yeah. enough or something like that. Something 50s. <laughs> you know, but, but I... I'm not a big fan of pets. I, uh, they're not going <laughs> to be able to... Let's screen, Jacob. Let's see him go down. Jacob's not going to make any fans. I'm pro-misogyny no. and anti-dog. Will you let me finish, though? <laughs> Look. I am not a big fan of pets. My pet is never going to be an NFL player, win the lottery, and be able to support me. I am just going to have to spend money on that thing. But I am not a fan of animal cruelty. And Jacob, by the way, if you want a dog, if you like dogs you know, playing professional sports, perhaps we should do the Air Bud franchise later on now playing. <laughs> um, so I... Boss John's, not Little John from that Pitch Black film, but or now Robin it's Hood, about... for that matter. Yes. Was that 1939, the Errol Flynn 19- Nazi one? Uh, it might as well have been. <laughs> um. So, I almost called you Stuart. Sorry, Jacob. So, Jacob did it again. Shit. I almost called Arnie Stuart. Stuart.